seen anybody raise the roof in a long time, Claire. Claire, you rose the roof, and I'm thankful for that too, in the spirit of Thanksgiving. Um, we are in Ephesians 5, 15 uh, through 20, and we're actually going to end the series in Ephesians here at this text, um, which you'll notice isn't the end of the letter. I preached uh, a sermon from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, a while back uh, before we went through the book of Revelation, talking about like the spiritual realm. And so if you want uh, me to direct you towards that sermon, uh, feel free to come up and ask me. But I also sent that out in an email. So this is uh, the end of uh, this particular section where Paul is kind of describing what it means to live out your union with Christ, what it means to be a Christian. Um, and he, he talks about our use of time and then our use of alcohol um, and connects it to uh, worship and thanksgiving. So... This is God's word to you today, uh, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So um, it's our practice here at Redeemer to spend some moments in silence. Now, what, what I'm always going for in this moment is that you would recognize and that I would recognize That God is present with us by his spirit Um, and that you and I would tap into that together. That this is real, that there is a spiritual realm and the God of the universe, the God of the cosmos wants to commune with you, wants to have interactions with you, uh, wants you to find rest and peace in him. And then he wants you to give him thanks just for being there with with us. And so that's what we're doing in this moment of silence that we would ask God. Uh, you, you can ask silently. Uh, I'll ask with Mike, but don't disengage here. OK, let's pray. Father, we all came here uh, for one reason or another, and I trust that you speak through everything, um, that you are present through your entire creation by the Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that we would become aware of that, that you would uh, sober us up to, to understand that we don't just go through our days and spend up our time uh, as uh, people who, who aren't 
cognitive of the fact that you keep everything going and that you uh, help us to, to image you by just, by just thinking about you, by, by giving thanks that um, we're here and that you love us. And so, Lord, help us to become aware of that, e- even if it's just a small uh, way for a small window of time um, that we would be able to uh, tap into the fact that there is an eternal reality to all of us in here. Um, and that you want us to, to find rest in you. So would you do that by the Spirit in, in Christ's name? Amen. Um, so there's this idea of becoming aware of what God is doing in Scripture, and Paul talks about that awareness and how we think about our use of time and our use of substances, particularly alcohol in this passage. And he says, that uh, a truly wise and better way to live is when you become attuned to all that God is doing in a particular moment. And you can be present when, when that happens, you can be present to yourself and to others and to God in each moment. Um, and you realize something when that happens. That a life of gratefulness, a life of gratitude is the antidote or is the medicine to numbing out, to disengaging, uh, to not wanting to be present around the people that you're around. That thankfulness to to literally what's right in front of you in this particular moment, uh, when you are, are living a life of that thankfulness, that's when you know that the gospel has actually transformed your heart and it's not just like some idea. That's how you know it's practically being lived out in your life. If you, in this moment, are giving thanks to God in a real way. Uh, When I first became a Christian, um, I grew up in different kinds of churches. I grew up in Pentecostal churches and Baptist churches in the deep south. And then when I became a Christian, I started going to this uh, big steeple church. It was called First Pres Augusta, Old Money Church. old, you know, old, old church. And it was very different than what I was normally aware of and uh, experiencing within churches. And, and I remember sitting in the balcony. I was, I was going with my brother every single week, sitting in the balcony behind this one particular family. And the mother of this family, I, I guess she was the mother. She had every week, she, she had her hand around her children with one arm and then her hand around her husband. And she never said anything to me, but I saw her week in and week out. out. And, and what emanated from her was calm, settledness, and just thankfulness. Like she just seemed so grateful to be right where she was. And... Uh, I, you know, she could have been a monster outside, outside of the, the worship service. I don't know. She could have been faking it. Uh, it sure seemed holy, though. And the reason why is because I don't remember any of the sermons that I heard back then during, during that time, but I remember her. And here's one of the questions I want to ask you. Do you know um, that people are affected by the demeanor in which you walk into a space? That, that what's going on in your heart actually... Uh, can be used by God even when you don't even say a word. That people can experience the gospel through you, through your thankfulness. 
Paul has been praying throughout this letter to this church here in Ephesus that these people's hearts, uh, eyes, he says that there's an eye in your heart, would be opened up to see what it is that they possess in them, which is called the mystery of the gospel. And the mystery of the gospel is that very broken and different types of people are coming together in the same space and they're housing the presence of God. And Paul's like, I want you to know that. And I want you to be thankful. And I want you to know that that's always going on, whether you recognize it or not. Now, he discusses that in our passage through this theme of sobriety. And I think sobriety gets a bad rap. Um, as a, I like to party, uh, I like to have a good time, um, but the true party, Paul says, is with the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, and so this is what he talks about, the right kind of sobriety in, in verses 15 through 20. Uh, the two areas that he focuses on is the use of time and then the use of alcohol. So what does it mean to be sober to the times? Verse 15 um, is what he's talking about. He's talking about walking. That was a Hebrew way of uh, talking about your life. How do you walk in a wise way? Uh, Charles Hodge says this about verse 16. He says, because sin abounds is a good reason why Christians should seize every opportunity to do good and also why they should make the most of time. One translation of verse 16 says that uh, we ought to redeem time. To buy it back. Paul says this in, a, in other letters that everything, as a Christian, everything you do matters. Even the way that you think about how you spend the time within your day. What controls your time? What dictates how you use time? Um, and Paul is saying that there's a way to think about time that images God in this world. That reflects him. To be sober to the times means that you, you are alert enough to know that there are larger things going on in the world than like the U.S. news, than like your paycheck, than your fluctuating mood, than whether this guy or this girl likes you back, than your, your paper that's due before Thanksgiving break. Um, and this is how the early Christians lived their lives. They literally thought that the Holy Spirit was present within their lives constantly, and they lived with the heightened sense that Jesus could return at any point and restore and re renew and resurrect all things. Like they lived with that anticipation that could, that could actually happen today or tomorrow. Now, here's a sobering question I want us to ask as Westerners, as people who have a lot of stuff that we like. Um, would you want that to happen? Like, would, would you really want Jesus to return? Or would you be sad that you would miss out on some things? Jesus tells this parable about these young virgins keeping their lamps burning because they had enough oil. Matthew 25, they were waiting expectantly for something to happen. For someone to return, it was the bridegroom to come back. They're sitting there with their lamps, you know. Um, in church history, that was a Christmas passage because it was about the coming of the Lord for the second time. 
the advent of Jesus the second time, that's the disposition of a Christian in the world. That's how you walk in this world. That's how you use time to wait expectantly for something, for the restoration of all things. Paul is imprisoned as he writes this letter. He's locked up. And that's part of how he can think like this in his circumstances. It's not that he wants to check out. But the suffering that he's enduring and as he's experiencing this church in Ephesus, what he sees because of the pain is something beyond the horizon of this life. And he's longing for it. That he has become dissatisfied and disappointed in this life. And that's holy. So use your time well. Think about your time like this. Know that you're not promised to look into the face of your children tomorrow. That your resurrection, I say this all the time, your resurrection is more true than you waking up tomorrow. It's more sure. And Paul says to become aware like that is not depressing. That's not depressing or sad. But to become aware like that is the only real way to walk through this life without numbing or disengaging or trying to bury the harshness of the reality in which we live. These evil days, as Paul calls it. The irony of the Christian life is that suffering can make you see the transient nature of the world for what it really is. And it helps you long for Jesus. That the pain pushes you towards the Lord. Uh, Garner Taylor said these words at his wife's funeral after she got died by hitting by, by getting hit by a bus. He says this. But as one gets older, this life begins to show its true quality of impermanence and unreliability. I believe God has ordained it so so that as we must leave this world, it becomes less attractive. How do you connect this uh, to the next section of our passage, starting in verses 17 through 18, as we discern what the will of the Lord is? Uh, suffering forces you to either admit that there's more to life or you have to escape that pain in some way. You got to cope. You have to. That's why Paul tells the church in Ephesus, look, don't get drunk. Don't try to escape with alcohol. Don't try to escape the harshness of these evil days with wine. Sobriety to the times discerning the will of the Lord means that you use scripture and prayer and songs to sober you up. To, to the reality that there is a spiritual realm outside of this one and that God is always at work and he wants you to participate in that work. That's how Paul ends his letter in uh, chapter, chapter 6. Uh, a few things about alcohol. Uh, the Bible does not condemn alcohol. It does condemn drunkenness. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what booze does, the overuse of alcohol does to you, but it's a depressant, which means that it deadens the pain that you feel in your life. It helps you deny how sad things actually are. That's why it's easier to send a text to somebody that you like when you're drunk. 
because they don't text you back. It doesn't hurt as much. That's why it's easier to take a punch when you're drunk because it literally doesn't hurt as bad. And what sobriety does is that it, it forces you to face the harsh realities of life without a protective cover. Judith Grissel, Dr. Judith Grissel, she's an adjunct speaker at UNL sometimes and an addiction specialist. She wrote a book called Never Enough. And she talks about the first time she got drunk and that she fell in love with the feeling. She said it was pure bliss. And she said it, it felt like I was a turtle and that when I got drunk, it was like a protective shell to protect me from the pain of this life. And I just, I'm, I'm realizing I just used turtle illustrations two weeks back to back. So, um, but then she, you know, she said, I, I soon learned that I could never return back to that feeling that I had the first time. It was never quite enough. Um, and, you know, like if you find yourself running to alcohol or something, you know, it can be anything. It could be a show. It could be shopping. It could be exercise, whatever, whatever your thing is. We all have a thing. Um, you got to stop and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Like, what is it about this thing that allows me to, to think that I can get through life if I have this thing? Because that, that's connected to your story. That's connected to how God wants to redeem your story. Um, Here's here's where I want to go a step further. Like if you've ever gotten to that place with your own addictive patterns, uh, just recognizing your patterns isn't enough. It must be replaced. New rhythms, the rhythm of relying on God uh, must must emerge in your life. And this, this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the God of the universe in your life. God knows you. He knows you. And he knows that it, it's impossible just for you to try harder to stop that bad thing that you're coping with. And he knows what will speak to your heart and your body and your soul deeper than you know. And he says, this is how I'm going to change you. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and then I'm going to make you long for the things that actually bring you health. That make you flourish in this world. It's not about trying harder. Trying harder is another trap. It must be internal. You must conclude of your own initiative that the way God tells you to walk and live in this world is actually more life-giving to you. It's actually more pleasurable than what you would naturally choose. So that you begin to choose things that you would, <laughs> you would never have chosen earlier on in your life. And you wake up one day, you're like, I'm a different person. I'm literally a different person. I'm a new creation. Paul says in verse 19, uh, I want you to try something the next time you want to run to alcohol. He says, I want you to sing instead. Look, I know, I know stuff like this in the Bible may sound just like real dumb. Um, but you, I want you to try this. The next time, whatever your thing is, the next time you want to go to it, uh, sing. 
My buddy uh, down in South Texas, his name's Ben Haley. He told me I could use this. Ben is a, a redneck, but he's very smart. And he, loved, he used to love to cut a dip. You know what cutting a dip is in the South? Copenhagen. Um, and he said one time when he was trying to quit Copenhagen, he would always dip while he was fishing for, for bass. And he was telling me, he's like, Matt, I, I got to tell you, man, I, I threw the line out there and I wanted to cut a dip so bad. I was sweating and I didn't know what to do other than just to sing to the Lord the hymn, Come Thou Fount. And I got to tell you, I made it through. Um, it can work. It can, it can really change the way that you cope with life. By, by singing, uh, I, I do want to warn you, uh, what little I know of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit does not calm you down sometimes. God's a stimulant. He wants to make you feel even more of the emotions, more of the pain, but also more of the joy. And... I, you know, the, the reason why we feel things, the, the purpose behind our emotions, there's a goal behind them. And the goal is to give him thanks in everything. Verse 20. Everything in the Christian life ultimately ends in thanksgiving and praise. That's what the Psalms are about when you read them in totality, that the whole cosmos ends in praise so how do we have this instinct among us as opposed to just trying really hard or, you know, like when you're giving thanks, you're like, uh, yeah, OK, I'm thankful. But you don't like you don't feel it in your heart. How, how do you how do you get to where internally you're like that woman in the balcony? Um, you must meditate on Jesus. If you, if you think about the things that we try to avoid in our life, the things that really kind of like are hard, that, that have caused you pain, um, Jesus's life, if you just walk, walk through the Gospels and notice what he goes through, he was full of misery. And he was surrounded by hypocrites. If you want to talk about like corrupt religious institutions, uh, the one in his day killed him. For doing nothing wrong. It says that he had nowhere to lay his head. So like he didn't have any sort of protection. He didn't have a home. And it all ended in his life with the most exposing, painful, and embarrassing death known to the world at that time. And yet it says time and time again, he's like, this is why I came into the world. I came into, the Bible has been describing this in great detail, that I have come to suffer and to rise again on the third day. The Bible has been saying it in great detail for, for like hundreds of years. And yet everybody was surprised by it in the first century. Everybody was like, no, the Messiah is going to come in strength. He's not going to suffer. Um, look, many of you uh, in here have gone through... Hard, hard. I mean, we as a community, we've experienced so much death over the past two years, really, since I've been here. And, you know, as you, as you think about suffering and, and evil, there is no, from our perspective, there's no coherent answer from our, our perspective for why suffering and evil exist. It doesn't make sense. 
But what we can say is that God must have a good reason for it or else he would not have incarnated into our existence himself and experienced the very worst of it in like a really terrible way. And here's, here's what I think I'm learning uh, as I experience it, the wave of it over and over and over and over again. I think that God consecrates suffering. That he sets it apart as holy. What I've noticed in my own life and in y'all's life as I hear you process the pain. You don't want God to take away your suffering. You want him to take away the loss and the pain and you want people back from the dead for sure. But you don't want him to take away those moments when it was the worst and the vividness by which you felt like there was another realm in, in, in the space was real. That God consecrates it. And he says, Jesus is real. And the moments of the deepest grief. He makes it holy. And I I know I'm treading on uh, tricky waters right here. Um, But even even somebody dies that you love, you know, even if they hurt you. And they did some terrible things. I think the deepest part of the soul of a human being, when they experience the death of somebody close to them, is that they say back to God, thank you for their life. Thank you. And the, the reason why is because we, we experience some of God through them, no matter how broken they were. And the deepest part of our soul, we're thankful Paul says that to truly integrate Christ into you is to understand the transformative nature of suffering. That's part of what it means to be reborn in the gospel. In verse 20, to him, I'm going to give him thanks for everything. How? How is that possible? In the name of Jesus Christ. It isn't possible without him. Now, like, I don't know. We're going to wrap up here, but like, I don't know about your life, but when I'm hurting, uh, I'm not giving thanks. I'm like complaining. I'm mad at whatever the situation is. I feel entitled. I don't feel like I deserve what's happening to me. I'm the opposite of thankful. And that's why I've come to love the Psalms so much. Because the psalmists take all that and they direct it at God. And they say, I'm mad, God, that you're letting this happen. And God's like, bring it. In fact, I'm going to take all that and I'm going to turn it into worship. Because that's not the end of the story. The end of the story. Here's the end of the story. That you, along with me and the sun and the moon and weird stuff, trees, are going to end in doxological praise towards God in utter happiness and pleasure directed towards God at home, finally. Giving thanks to him. No matter what's happened in your life. That that's your that's your end. How do we know this is true? Because Jesus rose from the dead.
We forget this all the time, and it seems like it isn't true most of the time. That's why Paul says, sing, sing to one another. Sing the words of Scripture over each other because you forget this all the time. Sing it every day. Sing even if you're locked up in prison and encourage one another. You never know what God might be doing. I was uh, standing next to a friend once who we were uh, at this conference, this RUF conference down in Florida. And I don't know, it was, uh, for some reason, the night was heavy. And I think it was because somebody that we knew was sitting right in front of us and they had just lost somebody. But, but my buddy, um, he had such a beautiful voice. If y'all have beautiful voices in this room, y'all better bless, it. Y'all better bless the people beside you. Um, by singing loud. This, this brother, he started singing and it was moving me so much that like, I, you ever started singing and you started crying and you couldn't sing anymore? Like that happened to me like halfway through the song and the song gets over and I look at him and I'm like crying and he looks at me and he's crying and we didn't even have to say anything to one another because the song was enough. There are certain things that only music can get across. You musicians, y'all need to... Know that you bless, you bless us with your gifts. This is the type of God we have. He turns sad people into joyful people. And what it means to make melody in your heart to the Lord is to stick it out for many years as a Christian. And God, what he's going to do is that he's going to complete what he began in you. He's going to bring it to fruition. But it does start in this moment by expressing gratitude and thankfulness that when you do that, you're participating in your future self. You're participating in the restoration of all things. Every time you give thanks for what is right in front of you right now. And what I want to tell you is that that's the true you. The true you is not one that complains and feels entitled. The true you is is saying back to God, thank you for exactly what I'm experiencing in this moment. This is where I belong. The true you is not disengaged and numbing out and afraid of community or trying to numb out through entertainment. But the true you, literally, the true you is a conduit to God himself. That people get close to God through you as you give thanks. Just like that mother. I still remember her sweater. You know, those early 2000s sweaters with the extra fuzz layer. I remember that. Like, I remember that more than the sermon. Any sermon that was ever preached. Just like my buddy who's singing, who's singing blessing into my life. That's you. Let's pray and practice these verses. Father, um, we thank you for the gospel, the mystery of it, that uh, it doesn't matter how broken Um, we are, this world is, that only makes the gospel that much more sweet. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to bless each other as we sing. Help us to uh, commune with you through the Lord's Supper. Um, Help us to confess our sin. But knowing that this is all heading uh, and trending uh, towards not just a good trajectory, but it's it's literally, literally the renewal of all things, the resurrection from the dead, the life of the world to come that will never end. Um, and it will be so
wanna love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We wanna love like you, love like you, love because you first loved us. We wanna love like you.